Hey, welcome back. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in the fourth session of five in a series called Receive. And it's based on my book, Receive, The Way of Jesus for Men. And it's really largely about the how to be a man, a real and, and, and good man in the model of Jesus, the essential man. Uh, last time, if you missed it, we covered talking about the receive principle, that we receive our identity. We don't earn it. It's kind of like uh, this ID card right here, my license. I didn't invent this. I didn't manufacture this. I didn't prove this thing. This I received. The government gave it to me to identify who I am. Now, our identity is much different than that. It's something that we receive from the Lord as his son, his beloved son, because of the work of Jesus. And we got to hold on to that identity. Okay, and we also talked about how receiving is a kind of a 24-7 constant dependence and connection and listening to Abba Father. That's the way Jesus did it. That's the way we need to do it. We're not nearly as powerful or strong as Jesus. The other thing that we covered um, is the idea of transform, that we are meant to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus over the course of our life, to become more honest, more real, more authentic, more beneficial and others-oriented, uh, strong and confident, but not just for our sake, for others' sake. And that comes by forgiving. It comes by setting others free. It comes by humility, which gives us true strength, God confidence, not self-confidence. And eventually we can escape insecurity and the fears that make us kind of overperform and even sometimes pretend. So that's where we've been. This session, uh, number four, uh, is called Huddle, and it's all about friendship. Friendship, I don't think, is a word we understand that well these days. But Jesus understood it. Jesus lived by it. And we were designed for it. And we need to figure out how to do it and how to start making it happen. That's one of my big prayers for you. Uh, I heard this true story about uh, two friends in college. And after the freshman year, uh, one of the friends, Sandy, um, a guy from Buffalo, New York, he went functionally blind. And he wanted to quit going to college in New York City because he wouldn't be able to get around or see well enough to handle the classes. And his close friend, his deep friend, Art, uh, flew up to his family's home in Buffalo and talked Sandy and his parents into sending him back to school, not just because he needed it, Sandy, but because Art needed it. He needed his friend there. And he assured them that he would be a set of extra eyes for Sandy. Uh, and I think it was at Columbia University. One of the wild stories was early in that experience when Sandy went back to school, uh, one day Art took him downtown. They were at Grand Central Station in New York City and they had quite a journey back to their uh, place on the campus of Columbia. And uh, Art made up an excuse that he couldn't go back with Sandy and said, you can make it, take the bus, take the sub, uh, walk these blocks. And it was a totally uncomfortable, scary adventure for Sandy. But he made the journey. It took him two hours. He bumped into some buildings and some people. It was quite trepidatious. He got on the bus and was wondering if he was on the right one. And when he finally got off the bus and was walking right toward his uh, apartment, right behind him, a friend reached and grabbed him on the shoulder and said, good job, Sandy. It was Art. He had shadowed him the whole way, protected him and been walking with him, but he empowered him to do it on his own, to show him, you can handle this. That is a commitment to friendship. And friendship has a lot to do with commitment. 
I have a friend like that. His name's Chuck Obremski. Uh, he passed away in his early 40s from cancer, but unbelievable guy, uh, heating and air conditioning entrepreneur, and uh, loved God deeply, studied the Word of God so well that he could apply it to anything in life. And he ended up becoming a Bible teacher, even though he had this uh, you know, entrepreneurial job. Um, he spent all his time studying the Bible and teaching it. We, we made him the chaplain of the Los Angeles Rams. He was the chaplain of the Angels, the Mighty Ducks. And uh, Chuck also was my friend and spent time with me. He, he worked out with me when I was on the 49ers living in LA and couldn't work out at the team facility anymore. In fact, I remember breaking his finger, passing passes passes to him. Um, he sold a car for me. He took care of my wife and our kids for six weeks while I was gone in training camp up in San Francisco, and our home was in Orange County. Uh, he was just a totally committed, awesome friend, and he brought the truth of the scripture to everything in life in a really practical and even humorous way. He spent one year coming to my house and meeting with me at like seven in the morning to walk me through the Bible, the story of Christianity, the fundamentals of the faith. He was discipling me not just in the Bible teaching, but in how to live. Everything was discipleship. Uh, it's showing people how to follow Jesus. Chuck was that. He actually became my mentor as well as my friend. Uh, and he's a, he's a role model in my mind about friendship. We need friends like that, and we need to be friends like that. We need mentors like that, and we need to be mentors like that. And we need the commitment that Art had to his buddy Sandy when Sandy faced the blitz of losing his eyesight, opened up new vistas for him through the teamwork of friendship. Proverbs 18.1 lays out the challenge. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Basically, the dude is ignoring common sense, even though he's doing what he thinks is best for him. And isolation means going it alone, not running your ideas by people, not confessing what you struggle with, not being real about that challenge with porn or your anger or your drinking issue or how financially on the edge you are and at risk of losing your home and putting your fam family at jeopardy, uh, how you just can't forgive your dad or your old boss and you're bound up in bitterness from that. Isolation keeps those secrets. And that is against all sound judgment because God made us as relational beings who grow through processing things. So the Bible also points out, written by Paul, um, that we need to have friends. Paul talked in 2 Timothy about his mentee, Timothy. And he said, Timothy, you need to find guys and you need to mentor them and then you need to train them and then they need to train the next generation of guys. And, and a great... A uh, Christian teacher and author, Howard Hendricks, uh, once said that every man needs three kinds of friends, a Paul, a Barnabas, an encouraging friend, and a Timothy, someone that you can mentor and build into that'll carry on the legacy of loving God and being a good man. So at any time, we need to have you know that mentor above us, that buddy, that peer, that encourager, and someone we're mentoring. Or guiding along the path. Jesus was obviously the greatest mentor ever and the greatest friend ever. Uh, he believed in friendship. He modeled friendship, the kind that improves us and changes us. We talked about transforming. 
this last session, we're transformed through honest, real, open, authentic friendships that are consistently in touch with each other, not just a couple texts and not just connecting on social media. Friendship in Jesus's style is committed. It's personal. There's proximity. You're around each other. It's consistent. It's not something you join and unjoin. Uh, it's honest. You're real about who you are. And you're open. Open means you drop your guard, you let out your secrets, you put everything on the table. Not just the stuff in the past, but the stuff that's coming down the road this week or this month or this year. If you process it with a friend, you're gaining the benefit of counsel. If you don't, you're isolating. And you're doing it against all common sense and sound judgment. Awesome passage worth just spending uh, months in is John 15. John 15 starts off, Jesus is talking about him being the vine and we're the branches, how we just live by abiding in him. Uh, but then in verse 15 of John 15, Jesus is talking about friendship and he says, I no longer call you servants for servants don't know what the master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Everything that I've heard from my father, I'm telling it to you. That's what a friend is. He's open. He's disclosing. He's consistent. Jesus modeled friendship, and he took 12 fishermen, 12 dudes, a tax collector, turned them into great friends, sent them around, around the world as friends, and they changed the world as friends. Guys, many churches don't have ministries to men. Some of them have them, but they're pretty anemic, maybe a Saturday breakfast every couple months. Um, but if every church understood friendship the way Jesus understands it, and the pastor and the leaders are talking about friendship, and every man that walks in the door is asked by another guy, hey, have you made a couple deep friends in this church? Oh, you haven't? Come on, let me introduce you to Joe. Let's hang out for a couple weeks. Let's get to know each other. And then paints the picture for them of what true deep friendship is, a kind that I call level five friendship, that would transform churches because it would transform men. It would get like 100% of the guys involved. That would grow the team for God. So let's dig into friendship, Jesus style. Um, and first, let's look at Jesus. How did he do this friendship thing? Well, he prayed about choosing his friends. He spent all night one time, and then he chose the disciples the next day. Jesus had three closest friends. You can't have 12 closest friends. Certainly, you can't have 500 Facebook close friends. Peter, James, and John. Jesus shared special experiences with them. He opened up to them. He disclosed to them special things that the other guys hadn't found out about. Jesus showed up. A lot of life, they say, 80% is showing up. He showed up at parties, like the wedding at Cana. He showed up at work at the lake, at the guys' fishing boats. He said, try, try throwing your net on the other side. It worked out pretty well for them. Jesus showed up. He was around his friends. Jesus went deep. A friend goes deep. He faced Thomas's doubts that he was the Messiah, that he was really alive and raised. Uh, he faced Peter's failures and his denials, faced him head on at the campfire when he restored him. Jesus showed weakness. I don't know if you think you can't show weakness as a man, but that's the opposite of Jesus. Humility is strong. Honesty in showing weaknesses is strong. Jesus showed Thomas the holes in his hands and his side. He wasn't afraid to show his vulnerability. Jesus showed up in the darkest hours, the toughest times. Again, 
Look at what happened to Peter and the way Jesus showed up. And then he affirmed him triply and restored Peter's leadership. He turned bad into good because he wasn't afraid to face the tough stuff in another guy's life. Jesus liked food and he bonded over food. So we got that in common, guys. Use meals and food, barbecue, grill to bond with other guys, but build a deeper friendship out of it, not just a fun meal. I'm thinking about the, uh, the Last Supper and what an amazing bonding experience that was, not to mention the campfire when Jesus had fish waiting for Peter and the guys on the beach. Jesus humbled himself so that he could serve. He even surprised guys, took off his tunic and washed their dirty feet on the Last Supper when he was the one that was supposed to be the Lord that they were celebrating and focusing on. He was the one serving. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus surprised his buddies by serving. He was humble. Hey, he built a band of brothers. Guys, you need and deserve, and God intends for you to have a team. Doesn't need to be 11 guys, but it ought to be at least two other guys. A band of brothers that have your back. Okay? Jesus invited guys into this friendship. He mentored them. He asked him questions. He trained them. And then he got them involved. He deployed them in the work. And he brought them away for refreshment and encouragement. Jesus embraced adventure. He was manly, and he knew that men like challenges. And he put his guys in some wild situations, including sending them out in the, 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 the Sea of Galilee in a giant storm so he could walk to them and prove to them that he was more than just a healer. He was the master of the heavens and the earth. He was the creator himself. Remember, Peter walked in the water for a little bit till he took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus was showing up in the storm and giving the, these guys an adventure and an experience. Not to mention when he fed 5,000, he could have done it himself, but he did it with his disciples. He engaged them. This is what friendship does. Engage your friends. And Jesus prepared his buddies, his team, for future challenges for the blitzes that would come. He told them he was going to be crucified, that he'd be rejected. Uh, but he said, don't worry, I've overcome the world. I will return. I'm coming back. I'll be raised after three days. They didn't get it at the time, but he, he clued them in and he prepared them for the tough times. He said, in this world, you're going to face trouble and trial and tribulation and blitzes, but don't fear, I've overcome the world. Jesus prepared his friends for the challenges coming. This is the picture of friendship. This is what you and I need. This is what we are made for. The Bible paints some great pictures of, of friendship as well as the way Jesus does. Uh, I'm going to draw from Ecclesiastes 4, Proverbs 17, Proverbs 27, uh, Psalm 133, John 15 again. Um, but here come a couple summaries of friendship from the Bible. Two friends are stronger than one, but three are even stronger than two. The triple braided cord. I'm a big believer in three friends. Three personalities can combine to help each other grow even better than two. Friends can help sharpen each other. They can protect one another's character. They can counsel each other to make better choices and avoid the, the negative and dumb, stupid things, the mistakes. But that's only if you're honest and connecting with your friends. Friends can support each other at all times and pick each other up when they're in the toughest moments in adversity. And God blesses the brotherhood, the deep friendship, the unity. Psalm 133 talks about God blessing the unity of brothers uh, and the sacrificial love they have for one another to be committed to one another and brotherhood. I think I, I want God's blessing. It comes through friendship and unity. 
And I want that for you. Jesus wants that for you. Here's some more coaching from God drawn from the scriptures. These are some of my favorite passages. I view them as kind of coaching points uh, from God on how to do life as a man in friendship and teamwork. Hebrews 10, 24, and 5. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Stir up means stimulate, encourage, motivate, energize, excite. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Doing good stuff. Being a good husband. Being a good dad. Serving the poor. Standing up for justice. Bring that verse back up because I'm going to finish it. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. This is the huddling part. you got to keep connecting with your friends. A lot of people are losing the habit of connecting as friends, getting together in a small group. But you should be encouraging one another, and all the more doing so as the day of Christ's return draws near. Man, what a coaching for friends. Encourage each other to love. Encourage each other to do God's good work. Keep meeting together consistently. Don't pull away from that and do it even more as the world gets weirder and the day of Jesus' return comes closer, which I kind of see that going on. Here's Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Wow, the law of Christ is be a good friend. Help your buddy out. Be what Chuck Obrumsky was to me. Sell, sell his Jeep for him when he's being traded to, to Seattle. Take care of his wife and family when he's gone for six weeks, whether it's military deployment or uh, football training camp. Bear his burdens. Listen to his problems. Let him confess his struggles and sins to you. Listen to him talk about work and his financial stress, his issues with his kids. You will help bear his burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ, which is love others as you'd like to be loved yourself. Proverbs 4, 23 and 26 kind of gets to the, whole, the core of why. It says, guard your heart, your motivations, kind of your internal compass, what you're most hungry for, what you desire the most. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Friends help you to guard your heart because you can't be objective about yourself. You can't see everything going on in you. You don't see your blind spots. You know, quarterbacks can't see the blind side over here. They need a great left tackle. Your, your best friend is a great left tackle to you, and you need to be that great left tackle to him. Not to criticize and judge him and say, dude, you messed up. I'm here for accountability. That's a part of it. But to encourage him to go back to God. Maybe see the pride in himself. Maybe hear the way he's been talking about his wife. Help him guard his heart, and that'll keep him on the straight path. I've learned a lot from a, a good friend, uh, Mike Woodruff. He spent a lot of years on college campuses mentoring young people. Uh, he's been pastoring in Chicago now for quite a number of years. But two years into marriage, a guy that was super well-networked and super social um, was talking to his wife, Sherry, about all the friends he had. And she said, Mike, you don't have friends. He said, I have tons of friends. I probably got a couple hundred. And she said, those aren't friends. Friends know what's going on in your life, and you know what's going on in their life. And the sad thing about you not having friends is I don't even think you realize it. And she was basically saying, Mike, your vision of friendship is sadly lacking, and therefore you don't have it. And she wanted him to gain it. Well, guess what? Mike is a humble enough guy that within a couple of weeks, he made up his mind. And he said, God, I need friends. 
help me do this. And he got super intentional. And for the rest of his life, he is committed to have some deep, consistent friends who he shares all the information of his life with. And they can bear burdens. They can keep each other objective. They can stir each other up to love and good deeds. And Mike is a leader. He's a pastor with thousands of people who might want to worship him or criticize him. But he has real friends that are loyal to him who tell him the truth and support him when he's down. We need that kind of friendship and that kind of commitment to friendship. What Mike has and, and what I've experienced and am blessed with is level five friendship. I got the idea of level five friendship from uh, Jim Collins in the book Good to Great, who talks about level five leadership is humble and doggedly focused. And it leads companies to much better results so that they can become great, not just go from average to good. Well, it seemed to make sense that we need some ways to describe friendship that draw the distinction between Facebook friends or casual friends, guy you see at work, guy you see in the softball league, maybe someone you see at church and you, know, you went to a retreat, a retreat with them. But that's different than a brother, a level five friend who knows everything about your life and you know everything about his and he's helping you be a better man, move closer to Christ, love your wife better, get through that challenge with your son or daughter, handle the firing and loss of a job that you've had which I've gone through a few times thanks to some great friends that have teamed with me and my awesome wife and the Lord. So level five friendship. I'm going to quickly touch on a couple um, of the lower levels, but the main thing I want to do is paint the picture for what level five friendship is so you get it in your head and your heart, and then you start praying about it, and you say, God, this is what I want both to be and to have with another guy, and probably with another two guys, maybe three, four max, okay? First level, shallow. This is just casual friendship. Hey, I met him. I call him my friend. I have a lot of these, and I call everyone my friend. My wife kind of makes fun of me. Number two, basic relationship, okay? This is a network friend. You have some affinity, maybe. Uh, mountain biking. You see him mountain biking, whatever. Uh, you let you root for the same team. Um, I think it's Arthur Brooks who says, there are deal friends that you make deals with in business and other transactions. And then there are real friends, okay? These aren't the real friends. I'm moving us toward level five, which is the real friends. Level three, a good friend. Hey, friendly. I like him. We got some stuff in common, uh, but I don't really know his story. I don't know his secrets. He doesn't know a lot about my life. We don't know the backstory. And I even have a little question in my mind. Do I trust him enough that I could tell him this secret or this struggle I'm going through? And when we don't have trust, we won't go deeper. But deeper than that level three is level four. You can see on the chart how the levels, the depth of the friendship is getting stronger as we move towards four and five. A level four friend, that's the type of person who you'd call at 2 a.m. in a crisis. You have some trust in them. Maybe you know a few secrets about each other. You've been through a few battles, all right? Uh, but a lot of us don't hang out with our level four friends often or consistently so we're not getting the consistent benefit of growing that friendship and experiencing what they can bring to our lives or we can bring to them. That's the difference between level four and level five. Level five, the deepest level of friendship. This is transformative friendship. It'll make you a better man. Eventually, it will sustain you in making life changes, getting out of alcohol or porn addiction or your anger problem or your quest for significance your pride. This is the friendship that can help you when you have no one else to turn to. 
and won't just be there one time, but it'll be there through the whole season of getting through the challenge. It's intentional, it's connecting, it's transforming. Look at those words. It starts with trust, it's loyal. That means you gotta define that we're confidential with each other. Don't be afraid to say to a friend, hey, do you wanna have the type of friendship where we're confidential and share stuff? Once you define that, guys will open up, I swear. We love to open up, but we usually don't have trust because we haven't talked it through. It's intentional, that's what all this is. It's committed, it's consistent. Like, you're in touch more than every six months, every two months, uh, scattershot, two times this week and not again for two months. At least every week, sometimes more often. You self-disclose. It's not just a checklist accountability group where someone says, hey, did you look at any bad stuff or say any bad words this week? Now, I wanna share with you what's going on in my life in the tough areas, my pride, my quest for significance, how are my eyes doing at looking at females and the human body and what kind of content am I looking at on, on my uh, computer or my, my phone? I wanna self-disclose, that's level five. No secrets, obviously, we all have got some degree of secrets, but we're trying to dispense with secrets and get totally honest and real. That's what level five offers, because it's a safe place. We confess our sins. God says there's superpower in that. We pray for each other right on the spot. And this is, as I said at first, transformative. This is level five friendship. C.S. Lewis, who had very deep friends and wrote amazing things, including killer quotes, this is one of them. Friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought that no one but myself had that problem. I thought I was the only one. I didn't realize anyone else struggled with this. You know that feeling? That bonds you when you find out that another guy is imperfect, is flawed, struggles, goes through experiences similar to you. But you won't build that level of friendship unless you open up like that. That's why I call it self-disclosure. And a guy has to open up to you that way, which is why we should be asking questions to guys in safe places, long car rides, after deer hunting, uh, after a mountain bike or a run together, um, on a mission trip, okay? You know how guys let their guard down at a campfire, all right? We need experience before we open up. We, we like to talk shoulder to shoulder, kind of looking forward, not into each other's eyes over a cup of tea like women. My friend Pete is one of my huddle buddies. Uh, Pete, Greg, and I um, have been meeting for about 10 years. We used to meet in person. COVID changed that, then one of us moved out of town. And so there's two of us in, in one city and another one in another city. We meet every week by Zoom. And when we can't do that, we'll pull off a phone call. And we change the meeting time when it's not gonna work for all three of us. And if one of us really has to miss, like I missed this week to be here uh, recording, I texted them my prayer request and what's going on, and they prayed for me. So we're keeping real and keeping current with each other. So that's the kind of friend Pete is. And uh, I, I, a few years ago, I spoke at a men's retreat and I had multiple speeches on Friday and Saturday night. I was staying in a hotel and uh, I had pre-disclosed to Pete and Greg what some of my challenges and temptations are. Um, I actually use a little chart like this in, in a, a level five friendship playbook. It's called the self x-ray and it just gives yourself a zero to 10 rating in seven areas. Uh, how, how, how faithful and healthy and strong am I in my relationship with God? my wife, my family, my personal life, um, temptations and risks, work and career, having influence for the kingdom, 
kind of being salt and light oriented. So I had disclosed that my risk and temptation area um, is A, a quest for significance, like this hidden pride that wants more. And secondly, just my eyes and what kind of material do I look at uh, am I listening to, especially the female body type of uh, material. <laughs> um, I love my wife. I want her to be the exclusive and only and greatest object of my sensuality and passion. But it takes discipline to do that. We're fallen creatures and the world throws a lot of stuff at us. So Pete uh, kind of knew that was my area. And uh, unfortunately on this speaking trip, serving God, doing this men's conference, um, I was in a room in a hotel and the couple in the room next to me uh, was noisier than the walls could prevent the noise from coming through as they were having sex. And I didn't turn up the radio, put on my Air, AirPods, um, you know, put the pillow over my head, uh, open the scripture, text my friend, call my wife. I just kind of soaked in listening to it. And I let it kind of become an auditory porn. And I was focusing and letting myself run with it, okay? And um, I actually knew it was wrong. I went and spoke the next day. By wrong, I don't mean I'm you know, going to go to hell to it or get a demerit. I just mean it was disconnecting me from God and who I want to be. And uh, the next night as I walked to my hotel room like at 10 o'clock at night, I kind of slowed down near their room wondering what I hear again. So my curiosity lasted into the next day. And I realized with this commitment I have to my huddle buddies and honesty that I got I to gotta confess what I've tripped up in within 24, 48 hours. I can't let it slide. So I was having lunch with Pete on Monday. And uh, before I even had a single chip at the Mexican restaurant, um, I looked across the table and said, hey, Pete, I got I to tell you about something. This weekend, uh, I dropped my guard. I was careless. Um, after the speech, I just kind of chilled. And the enemy slipped in with temptation. And I listened to this couple having sex. I like paid way too much attention to it. I listened for it the next night. And I just want to apologize and confess it. I told God about it already. Well. You can imagine, I was fearful of telling it to Pete. I thought he'd think I, I was an immature schmuck. And that's what Satan says to all of us, to get us to not talk to a friend, to not self-disclose, to stay isolated. But the cool thing was, as Pete listened to me, he kind of sat up in his chair, leaned forward, he smiled, uh, he was welcoming. And then he said, Jeff, I, I, I really appreciate you. That's one of the things I really value about you is you're really honest and quick to analyze yourself and share and disclose what's going on. Thank you for sharing with me. And then Pete went on to say, you know, there's something in my life that I haven't confessed in a while, and it's been going on for a couple weeks, and I just want to talk to you about that and confess it. Immediately, Pete and I both felt not like failures, but stronger in our brotherhood and our honesty. That's what level five friendship does when you're consistently in touch and you put your cards on the table and you process the important stuff in your life because you've established the confidential trust. You've said this is a safe place. And I want to go deep with you. Will you with me? The guy agrees. We got a friendship that's going to go the distance and be transformative. What I did with Pete is written in the scriptures. In James uh, chapter five, verse 16, it says, confess your sins to each other, that's horizontally, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. It produces wonderful results. This is horizontal confession. Take a look at a picture of this diagram. If I were to confess my sin to God, look on the left side here. Here I am. I've messed up. I'm going to say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
And the scripture says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and wipe you from all unrighteousness. So you're forgiven, but you don't realize it or forgive yourself. And you're also not protected fully from doing it again because you haven't been fully honest with your team, which helps you stay stronger. So the strength of that commit, that, that apology to God, that confession to God, if I don't get real and show other people what I struggle with, is only about as much square footage as that narrow line. But if I confess to Greg or to Pete, like I did in this instance, horizontally to my buddy, not on Twitter, not up in front of the whole church service per se, uh, but just with your tr trusted huddle, your, your level five friends, look at the size, the circumference, the square footage of the, the repentant power, so to speak, of that confession to one another. It adds to the vertical. So it's God who forgives, but it's the open and honesty, the transparent and vulnerable nature of confessing horizontally that gives you a strength to repent and stop doing it. You don't feel, well, it breaks the power of sin. It breaks the power of temptation. This is central to getting out of porn. This is central to getting out of lust. This is central to changing your drinking habits if they're off base. This is central to changing your attitude of arrogance and anger and impatience with your wife or your kids. Getting changed in any area needs a sustainable team, and that's what level five friendship is. Horizontal confession, disclosure, not just of what you did wrong, but what you're struggling with, that'll strengthen you. It triggers repentance, and it creates this continual Holy Spirit process of strengthening you. So guys, we gotta go deeper in our friendships. There's a lot more available experience of depth of relationship and there's even extraordinary levels where you trust a guy like Pete and you open up totally to each other. I talk about that more in the book with an amazing principle called the perimeter principle and red dots. But I want to move on to some of the keys of building this level five friendship and what I call huddling. Okay, I want to call huddling a verb more so than a noun. I'm not talking about small groups. I'm not talking about something you can join and unjoin, something you're in for a six-week study and then you stop for uh, two months and then you start up again. Those are great. They are needed. More guys need to be in them. And many men would be in those groups more if they had a friend at level five who was in it with them and invited them to it. This is a baseline of Jesus' way with men, friendship. So the first key to your deep friendships and the huddle practice of connecting to your friends weekly, that's what huddling is, is trust and confidentiality. You gotta build trust. And you start by being honest, but also intentionally explaining, I'd like us to be loyal to one another and consistent and confidential. Uh, I want this to be a no judgment zone, do you agree? We've said that in our group and we open up as wide as can be because of it. Secondly, you need a defined purpose. You can just have fun, you can be friends, but you can say, Guys, I want to grow. I want to be a better man 10 years from now. I want to be a better man a year from now. Uh, I want to let God own my life, not me. I don't want to be so selfish or always questioning after significance. I, I, this porn problem, this lust problem, um, I want to see God beat that, and I need your help. That's part of the purpose I have for our friendship. That intentionality of defined purpose is going to help you. The next is consistency and accountability. Again, this isn't an accountability group or even a small group. This is a friendship. This is your buddy, but you're just putting some structure to it and making sure you're consistent. If you're not in touch every week, you're going to lose track and you can't help one another when the tough day comes or the key decision. 
So for us, meeting weekly is a non-negotiable, but we're flexible. Okay, so we're going to try to meet every single week. That's important. Every guy's important. If it's a group of 10, one guy's missing, he thinks it doesn't matter. I didn't hurt the group. But if it's a group of three and you're missing, you're affecting the group. So we're flexible. We'll change the time. Uh, we'll change the day. Sometimes we'll go just for half an hour. And like I'm doing this week, all I'm doing is staying in touch with my buddies by text. But I'm going to be in touch with them live next week. A huddle is open self-disclosing and it is transforming you can underline transforming or write that in it's going to change it research and experience show that there is one thing necessary to sustain recovering from an addiction or making a life change and that is teamwork of other humans psychologists would call it community intimate close community jesus would call it friendship i call you friends share our lives together Talk to Peter about the important stuff that just happened and restore him for his future. Open, honest, self-disclosing, and transformative. And lastly, I'm not ruling out fun and camaraderie. Dude, I love the huddle. I love the locker room. I love the brotherhood. You have memories from high school, college, military, wherever, some special buddies. God wants that to continue. Christian men should have the best experience of friendship of anyone. It should be attractive. The love we have for one another, what's it say in the Bible? That ought to be the advertisement for the love God has for us, the gospel. But a lot of us aren't practicing friendship. Some guys on purpose are saying, no, I'm committed to my wife and my kids and work. Uh, I don't have time for friendship like I used to. Hey, if you don't go out drinking with the guys anymore, fine. But if you don't go with the guys anymore, you're one or two guys, no matter what it is that you connect over to share lives, you're missing something. And that something will make you a better husband to your wife and dad to your kids if you're married or single and facing the sexual onslaught of temptation that we have in our era. There's a bunch of huddle coaching and level five friendship coaching that I make available free for guys in something called the level five friendship playbook. It's just about 10 pages of reading, a bunch of pictures and diagrams and, and bullet points. It's pretty guy friendly. Uh, but what I, what I wanted to do is sh share what's the Bible say about friendship? What are the simple blueprints we just went through? And what's an easy pathway for guys to get there? I've even got a, a tip sheet on easy steps to take this week and over the next month to start building friendships closer to four, level four and into level five and getting you ready to begin huddling with guys. Uh, and that's available at, at the website menhuddle.com, the Jeff Kemp team.com uh, website. Um, I want every man ministry to have it and every ministry out there. I want you to have it. Here's three questions that you'll see in that playbook. And these are so simple. We basically use them in our uh, huddle friendship every week. Number one, what's the most important thing going on that you need to talk about? That'll launch great conversations. And it calibrates you quickly. Do I need to talk about my marriage, my kids, my work, my temptation area, money, my relationship with God, which oftentimes it comes back to that. What's the most important thing going on in your life that you need to talk about? The second question is, what's the most important thing I can pray for? And then pray right then without fancy religious language. God, thanks for my brother. That he's honest. Um, help him to surrender that area to you. Give him strength and heal that relationship. Bless him. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, that real-time prayer, buddy praying for buddy, is powerful. And then the third 
question is what did Father God, what did Abba, Daddy, show you in his word this week or recently? Now, there's a sense of accountability in that question. That if the guy hasn't been in the Word this week, he's like, hey, man, I, I'm going to get asked that question next week. I, I think I want to be in the Word this week. More importantly, though, it's painting the picture that this isn't an academic journal. This isn't a religious document. This is a picture of Jesus alive and active. It's the Word of God from our Father, and He'll speak to us through it. And we want to hear Abba speak to us. That's why we present it. What did Father God say to you in His Word this week? Those three questions. What's the most important thing going on? Most important thing I can pray for? And what Abba Father teach you in his word this week? Which reminds us that the word of God is the foundation of our lives. There is objective truth. We have some solid rock to stand on. In essence, level five friendship and connecting to your friends on a regular basis, disclosing what's going on, both in the past and what's coming up, processing it with them so you get wise counsel. This is mutual discipleship. You're helping each other follow Jesus, and they're helping you. And you're making each other stronger so you can actually follow that path, not just know what it is. Uh, there's a tone to a huddle, to a level five friendship, uh, a flavor to it. It's peaceful, trusting, I got your back, you got my back. No judging. In fact, we have a phrase in our group, it's, uh, this is a no judgment zone. You're inviting self-disclosure. You make it safe for the guy to sh share. You're going to gain self-awareness because you've put your stuff on the table. When you explain something to friends, it may sound pretty messed up, and you'll learn just from that. Or they may ask you a question about it. The tone is mutual support and growth and humility. Here's another aspect of mutual discipleship in Level 5 Friendship and Huddling. It adds wisdom and it prevents you from doing stupid stuff. <laughs> the dumb things that I would have done this next week. Uh, I was going to lunch with Greg, one of my huddle buddies. He and Pete and I are a huddle. And I told Greg about something I wanted to talk to a son of mine about. My son is a grown man. Um, and I ran up by Greg before doing it. He said, hey, let me ask you a question. I said, sure. Um, and usually we do that. We ask for permission. Can I, can I offer something or can I ask a question? We're not there to fix people. We're not the counselor, but we're also going to be accountable friends. And Greg says, hey, do you have a lot of credibility with him on that issue? I thought, no, not really. And then he said, do you think it's going to turn out very well? I said, no, there's a chance it won't. He said, well, you might want to rethink it. I didn't have the dumb conversation that I wanted to have with my son and saved myself and him because I ran it by my friend. That's because I had a level five friend, and that's because I met with him that week, and that's because I self-disclosed what I was thinking about doing the next week, not just confessing what I did the past week like I did with Pete. You know who really needs level five friendship besides everybody? Leaders. Pastors. Churches where people will fake and pretend that they look okay on Sunday, but they're not. Friendship like this leads to authenticity and protection, but the challenge with leaders like pastors or authors or speakers or corporate leaders or athletes or entertainers, famous folks, and I know about this because my dad ran for president, he ran for vice president, he lived in the limelight, he was a big-time football player. Um, 
he got so much notoriety and attention. He lived in a glass house, just like a, plast, a, a pastor. Way too many critics, crazy critics, and way too many fans, fanatical fans, yes men. They're not going to say, hey, you don't have any clothes on, Mr. Emperor, because they like the benefits of hanging out with you. And you discount all the critics, so you never hear objective feedback about yourself. That's a challenge for, for leaders and pastors. Pastors more than anyone, leaders more than anyone, need the protective, transforming dynamic of close friends, two or three people that are honest, and they're not treating you like you're a big deal leader or a congressman or a pastor or an author or a CEO. They're treating you like a buddy, a friend, a son of the father. So I'm going to ask you, do you have two deepest trusted friends at level five? Do you even have a level four that you would call at 2 a.m. and disclose your challenges and, and trials to? God wants you to have that, and you can have it. This is someone you can pray for. You can check in, and I want to encourage you right now. Think of who it would be. Ask God about it. Write down two names and uh, give them a, a quick text and a call this week. If you're not sure who, keep praying about it and ask God to guide you. Uh, and just have a check-in with them and start that friendship on a more regular basis. Now, here are the hurdles to friendship, and I want to get these out on the table because there's a bunch of them, and they stop guys from having what they really want, which is a kind of a team approach to life with friends. Fear. What's he going to think of me? He's going to lose respect. I'm going to be discredited. He might write me off. Um, I can't trust the guy. I'm not sure. Okay? Um, I can't find a guy who's really going to open up to me and wants to do this at the same level. So I'm not going to do it. My schedule, I'm too busy. My family, my work. Hey, you have time for a one-hour conversation that's going to make everything else better in life. Who? Who? Guess what? God can answer questions like that. Ask him who. Start being a friend. You don't have to start a huddle. You can just start connecting with a guy weekly, asking him questions. Hey, what's going on? What's important? How can I pray for you? Do that for a month or so, and he's going to open up to you. And if he's the right guy, he's really going to open up to you. And then you say, hey, would you like to kind of get more intentional about our friendship? And some of those ideas in the Level 5 Friendship uh, Playbook, you can share with him and say, why don't we commit to this? Let's shape it for us. Schedule a time. Reschedule it if we're going to miss it. You can get going. Level 5 Friendship is the way of Jesus. It's for you and it's for me. We need it and we want it. Satan wants to block it. I'm calling you into it, dude. Um, you got to take a step. So start going forward, building deeper friendship on a consistent basis. Open up and be honest. If the guy doesn't open up to you, stay his friend and look for someone else to go to level five with. You need that band of brothers. Well, I'm going to kind of shorten this last bit. It's found extensively in the book Receive. Um, it's called Live in the Game Plan. Live in the Game Plan. Don't just study the Game Plan. This is the Game Plan. It's the way Jesus lived, and it's laid out in the Scripture, and it's accomplished by depending on the Father as we receive, not by self-performing or just living up to some principles or formula. Chuck Obremski, the buddy of mine, my mentor, my friend, uh, the fellow passed away with a blaze of glory. Uh, he had so much courage during cancer because he knew he could show people 
that loving God and having eternal life was more valuable than having good health. And he shared the gospel with thousands of people during his last year of life. Chuck was an amazing man because he lived in this word and he lived this word and he spread this word. It was like the word of God in Jesus and the Holy Spirit got inside of him and that's what was manifesting. That's what we need to become. The word of God living in us because we're abiding in it. But not because we're just studying it as a, as a college course, but because we're listening to Father God in it. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and my word and my ways, you'll bear a lot of fruit. You'll look more like me. You'll conform to me and, and you'll represent me well. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not in this word, you're separating yourself from the fullness of Jesus. Here's my paraphrase. I, Jesus, am your complete source of life. When you're attached to me so that my life, my love, and my truth flow into you and through you. When you stay connected and dependent upon me, I develop in you good thoughts, emotions, motives, words, actions, responses, character, and relationships. I'll work through your life to generate positive influence and eternal impact. Just remember that when you try things on your own without me, you cannot handle life and you can't do anything that counts for eternity. The Word of God transforms us. The Word of God points us to Jesus. Jesus is called the Word. It's more exciting to read this listening to your Father than it is just to learn the latest principle. So let's jump into it and live it, and that'll let us be more like the essential man Jesus, both honest and real and authentic, and good and beneficial for others. I was coming here to California on this trip from Atlanta, excuse me, from Nashville. We were the, um, babysitting with our grandson, and my wife dropped me off at the airport several days ago. And I remember I was excited to do this video. I was excited to talk to you. I was excited to reach people. Um, but I also had some nervousness because it was important to me. And I also knew that I was going to stay a few days in Laguna Beach with my cousins, um, and that I'd be in California, and I'd be in airports and all of a sudden in the summertime, there's a lot of women wearing um, much lighter and smaller clothing than normal. And I was aware of my temptation area. And secondly, I was aware that I wanted everything on this trip to please God, be controlled by God, and to receive it from Him. So as I was walking through the airport uh, in Nashville, I just had this sense, God, I'm walking through this airport as your son. I'm about to get on this plane as your son. I'm about to do this work you've given me as your son. I'm about to hang out with my cousins at the beach as your son. And I want to please you as your son, and I need you to do it. So, Father, I'm receiving from you. Secondly, Lord, I want to be pure. I want my motives to be right. I want to keep my, my mind on you and my affections for Stacy as the only female that excites me, uh, that I gain pleasure from. And I don't want to be tempted and look the wrong way, so help me be pure as a son. I have felt God's presence and guidance and strength because I calibrated at the beginning of this trip. I think a great encouragement to you is that every morning you can calibrate as his son for whatever the goal is you're supposed to do that day and whatever the risks are you might face that day. I call it resetting as a son.
So approach God as a father. Expect to hear from Abba at any time and all day long. Start your day with Abba Father. Maybe say a prayer, Abba, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, fill me, control me, own me, help me live as a son today. I want to live as a son. I want to receive from you. Maybe take a walk and just talk to God and listen to him. Thank him that he's in control and you don't have to be. Put every concern you have on the table with him. Just tell him about it. Start reading the Bible as a son. Expect to hear him. Write some notes. Since I've started doing this, my journals have filled up, and I didn't used to be a writer. But now God's speaking to me, and I can't help but bullet point and write boxes and stars and thank yous and prayers and cool perspectives that he gave me on the word that were applied to me. And it's all because I'm approaching God as my Abba Father, saying, I want you to speak to me. Ask God questions. Help, ask him to refather you. Answer things. Um, direct you where to look for the answers from a mentor or in the Bible. And write down the questions you have for him. Write down the prayers you have. Uh, go back and write the date when he answers them. And, and I think journaling makes sense, whether you do it on your phone or a computer or uh, in a physical one. So that's living in the game plan. It's a relational thing, not just an intellectual thing. It's the way to receive constantly. All right? Uh, the next steps, if you're gung-ho about deepening levels of friendship, pray and ask God, who are going to be those level five friendships that I need and that need me? Give them a call. Maybe text and find out when you can get a half-hour call in. Grab the level five friendship playbook and look it through, get some ideas from it. Send him a text and say, hey, you can download this too. The two of you talking through it, it looks like six, five minutes to read. We'll have a lot more of a common vision and some great ideas of how to move forward as intentional friends. And you can start sharing that vision for friendship, including the playbook, it's, it's free, with other guys, whether you're going to be level five friend with him or not, because other guys want friendship too. All right, so what are you going to do to deepen friendship? Do something but ask God what to do, not, not me. I'm not your guide. He is. Next session, uh, we're going to talk about lift. This one, is, we've been talking about receiving. We've been talking about transforming. We've been talking about huddling. And now we're going to talk about lift. And lift is basically live your lives to glorify God and make life better for others. And that sounds like masculinity and manhood, doesn't it? Strength on behalf of others. That's exactly what Jesus was. He lifted everyone he came in contact with. I'm excited about this next session. Uh, I, I, my dad was a lifter. I want to be a lifter, but I don't want to do it in my strength. I want to do it as a son of the king. Same opportunity for you. So that's what's coming. We'll be talking about living on purpose as a relationship investor, and we'll touch on blitzes in life, the opportunities they represent, sex, the greatness of it in God's design, the risks of it and how to overcome them through teamwork, uh, and then ownership. Who's going to own our lives? The best owner or the not-so-best owner? Clue. I'm the not-so-best owner, and God is the best owner. So that's next session. Let me pray. Father, uh, change us, guide us. You said some things to each of us. Help us 
hear and act upon those so that we are transformed, uh, not just so we're maybe informed and inspired, but without action we get frustrated. Uh, help us talk about these things with a close friend, maybe with a wife, our wife, <laughs> um, a mentor. Help us do something, change something, take some action, experience it so that we are transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Uh, and we do pray for friendship, deep, consistent, level five friendship like Jesus modeled and wants for us. Help us to follow you and make it happen intentionally in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll remind you again, live by receiving and start each day as a son. Look forward to seeing you next time.